Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood of Over the Monster for episode 263 of the show. Uh, gentlemen, welcome back. We got a three-man booth today. Uh, very excited to talk about absolutely nothing here with you guys. Um, so, yeah, what's going on, dudes? Nothing's happened, but Still so fall. much is happening. So I'm ready to go. Yeah. I'm ready to rage if you want to. Yeah, you ready to rage, Keaton? I am ready to rage. Okay. Always ready to rage. Good. I, I like to keep it at a little bit of a simmer, um, but you know what? I was talking to Bob before we got on this show a little bit, uh, texting with you, Keaton, and, and I, I'm starting to build my rage a little bit. So uh, <laughs> even though there is nothing happening with the team, that absence of anything happening uh, is slowly building my rage, and I want to just start off with a little bit of a rant here about um, this sort of condescending remark that is going around the uh, interwebs about people being frustrated with the Red Sox in action. And everybody's like, oh, you're such a dumb fan. You don't understand what's going on in baseball. Is this your first offseason you've ever covered? And it's like, 
no, I get that baseball moves slow. But, like, that doesn't mean we can't be frustrated with the slow pace of baseball or the fact that, like, the Red Sox haven't done anything meaningful with their own guys yet. Like, Xander's still unresolved. Devers is still unresolved. Come on. Like, don't give me that crap. This is, I think, my 10th year covering this team at this point to some regard. And, like, I, you know, I just, I don't want to hear it. We're here to be emotional about the team that we care about. And I'm not going to, like, have dum-dums online, like, make me not want to be emotional about uh, our baseball team here. So, you know what? I'm going to get mad when things don't happen, especially when a million friggin' things need to happen with this team for them to be relevant, even to the tiniest degree. Um, And you know what? They got to get out in front of some of this stuff and, you know, doing stuff like tendering a contract to Ryan Brazier uh, is going to get the blood boiling for me a little bit. So I, I don't know. How do you guys feel about this? Am I just alone on Rage Island here, or are you guys uh, kind of bubbling under the surface with me? No, because it's not like a singular move kind of thing, or like a waiting for the the big one to drop kind of thing. Because obviously that takes time. Like Marcus got to unfold, guys at the top got to go. But we're looking at the Red Sox roster as a whole after a really really disappointing year. And this kind of goes to Bob's point from before we were recording. The minimal moves that they have made in the offseason so far have kind of done a lot to like set up the offseason. I think that's where your frustration is coming from. And if you don't have the foresight to look at the roster now as like a predictor or really to like be the blueprint for what's to come in the offseason and like understand what's left or what moves are left to make and not be frustrated by it. I don't think you're really looking at the Red Sox and just like assuming that we're coming into the offseason with a blank slate of a roster and just waiting for things to unfold is just not true. It's not like they were aggressive last year either, and I know that there was a lockout in between, but it got to the point where it was Trevor's story or there was nothing left. And I don't know what would have happened if Story chose a different contract or kind of the unfoldings and the contingencies of what needed to happen for them to sign him and where he was going to play. If he didn't agree to all that, they were going to have to make a panic trade or they weren't going to have a player um, at second base or a big hitter in their lineup. So it's this is years of that, that it started out slow, and they're going to have to be aggressive. They're going to have to overpay somebody because they've kind of screwed this all up with their key cornerstone players that... If they don't overpay them, there's going to be fewer and fewer guys available, and they're going to have to overpay somebody else to compensate for it, or we're going to be more pissed off next time we talk. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm happy I had both of you guys on um, today because you way more eloquently than I did actually explained my emotions about this whole thing. And I think, like, <laughs> what, what you hit on, uh, Keaton, is exactly what the frustration is for me is I would not feel so bad about this if I was looking at blank spots on the roster where I could imagine said players uh, being added to this um, once action gets underway. Um, But, you know, looking at spots that are being filled by guys that now money has been committed to, like 
Brazier and, and Josh Taylor, who we'll get to later in the show. I mean, that's just frustrating because then you're looking at the 40-man roster and you're trying to figure out, like, who's going to come off of this thing for players to get added. And and suddenly it becomes more of a, a difficult equation. And to get to your point, Bob, about how slow off-seasons have been unfolding under Bloom, uh, Red Sox Payroll, which is an excellent Twitter follow, um, tweeted out exactly what the moves have been made by Bloom over the last three years. And uh, 2021, it was Waka, the JBJ, Renfro trade, um, Rich Hill, James Paxton, followed by a lockout, then Matt Strom, Jake Diekman, Shaw, and Story. So to your point, Bob, I mean, it was disappointment, 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 Story. And the year before that, it was just as underwhelming. It was a Rule 5 pick in Whitlock. It was Renfro, which we were kind of like, oh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Injuries, Otto, Kike, that was pretty good. Uh, Richards, Franchi, Perez, Sawamora, Springs, Schreiber, who we didn't know at the time was actually a good thing. Uh, Marwin and Santana. Like, it's just, this is how it's gone. And in 2019, wasn't any better to get to 2019. This is actually, it's even worse. Osich, Jonathan Arayus, Peraza, Perez again, Ploiecki, Springs, Moreland, the Mookie trade, which nobody felt good about, uh, Pilar, Valdez, and McHugh. I mean, that's that's Bloom's tenure right there. Anything exciting? Uh, th- there's a few exciting <laughs> things in there that worked out, but they weren't at the time. I mean, they, I, th- I think the only time that I was fired up when i i saw all right this news came across my feed let's go was trevor story because it was just a exhale of all right now we're not in panic mode um and it just seemed like the the right fit at the right time that's the other ones at the time um you know you didn't know that kike was going to work out the way that it did and a couple others that you mentioned but that's the only one i can think of oh that hunter renfro to that i was excited yeah, you, know, <laughs> yeah, that's you were, <laughs> and you were right, and, uh, and I was super bummed. Just one year later, yeah, yeah, and then they decided to trade him with absolutely no replacement. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's not been great. Um, and the other thing that I, I think was kind of interesting is um, Sox prospects tweeted out the um, prospects that Bloom has traded so far. Um, in his tenure and there's just like not been really any guys uh that that bloom has traded of really any consequence so it's not like he's been aggressive in trading players to acquire other players to make the team better in different ways so really what it has felt like is just sort of a, a complete apathy uh towards this this team um and it's frustrating so we're gonna get to more of that we are going to review a lot of the moves that have happened with this team um, since the last time we talked when Keaton and I were on last. If you missed that episode, we previewed a whole bunch of stuff that was going to happen, non-tenders, Rule 5, qualifying offers. We have a lot to report on on that stuff, so we'll get to that. But um, yeah, the inaction of Bloom is is slowly causing me to lose years off my life. <laughs> 
Um, but let's get to James Paxton first. This was a little bit surprising since the last time we talked. Um, we we knew that the Sox were likely to decline his option. They did. But, um, you know, Keaton, while we were on last time, we were figuring that James Paxton would probably uh, not uh, opt into his side of the deal, the $4 million, and, you know, seek something on the market. Uh, but he was content to stay here for $4 bucks. So, you know, I, I guess how surprised are you by his decision to stay here? I am a little surprised. I thought that if he were was feeling healthy, um, that he could put on a showcase or two and land a longer-term deal. But I suppose probably taking um, the one-year lower money here and trying to put together an actual season – uh, you know, like a, a guaranteed having a season here um, as the showcase uh, probably would be better for him in the long term, um, I suppose. So I think he's betting on himself that he'll actually be healthy this year, be able to put together a strong season, uh, show teams that he survived a season, and then sign a much larger, longer term deal in the offseason. So I think it's more of um betting on himself for a much longer term deal somewhere after this season um i really hope it works out i really don't have much expectations at all but i feel a lot better at was it four and a half instead of 10 yeah to see if it does work out yeah i was pleasantly surprised by the four million dollar contract i think james paxton for that money if he is going to be healthy at all at any point during this year that's a good thing and it seems like he's got a chance to be healthy for a good chunk of this season um bob what are you expecting out of him in 2023 you know do you think his home is the rotation do you think he's going to pitch out of the bullpen how many innings are you expecting what type of performance i mean what are we looking at here two years after last seeing james paxton yeah, and I, I think you can argue that it's been since 2019, so it's yeah. going to be three seasons pretty much lost, and that's why I think he probably, at best, was getting a one-year deal, but he probably, if he had gone and showcased and was throwing well, probably could have got six to eight million, but um, you know, maybe he just wants to continue to work with the training staff here and not have to wait till February to throw in a showcase or something along those lines. In terms of my expectations... I actually think that he would be best suited in a relief role um, in like that Matt Strom role from a year ago. You know, he wouldn't be throwing back-to-back days or anything like that, but just the ability to have a left-hander that can go, you know, a couple of innings. um, I think you're setting yourself up for the same disaster that you had in 22 if you expect to rely on him as one of your five starters going into the season. I would want Paxton to be sp7 and have him in the bullpen to start the season unless things go awry and there's a couple of injuries or um you know something happens between now and then but i would want him to be the seventh starter and be more of kind of a lefty that hopefully can throw 70 to 80 good innings out of the bullpen that's that's where i would want paxton it's tempting to uh to want him out of the bullpen for sure i mean this stuff if he's healthy and we think he's going to be 34 years old, I mean, it's still going to be 
hopefully premium stuff from the left-hand side. And, you know, the bullpen certainly lacking lefties, even after adding a free agent that we're going to talk about a little bit later, Julio Rodriguez. But, yeah, I mean, it is really tempting to have another quality arm in a bullpen that, that certainly needs it. Um, I do think that from James Paxton's perspective, he's probably going to want to do everything he can to, to start and prove that he can start because of what you said, Keaton. I mean, he is essentially auditioning for what will be in all likelihood, his final pretty good contract that he gets. So I don't know. What's your ideal role for him, Keaton? Oh man. I mean, ideally I would love for him to be an effective starter. I guess if we're we're talking pie in the sky here, um, realistic, I feel like he's just going to be building up to just getting comfortable. So it might take a minute for him to, to actually, you know, be real effective. So I think, I think I just want to see him perform and give the Red Sox a chance to win his starts. And I'd feel good about that. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, I, I lean towards wanting him as a starter, um, and, and seeing how far he can go there. But, Ultimately, at the end of the day, if he's healthy pitching either as a starter or as a reliever, I will be happy because whenever he has been on the mound, he's been effective. So we'll see what ends up happening with James Paxton. Um, Next order of business here, qualifying offers were extended to just two players on this team, Xander Bogarts and Nathan Eovaldi. Um, I thought Xander was a lock. We both thought Xander was a lock, obviously. Nathan Eovaldi was one that we were both up in the air about, uh, and I was kind of surprised that they did end up extending the QO to Eovaldi. Um, but I was most surprised by the fact that, uh, you know, not only Xander rejected it, which was expected, but that Nathan Eovaldi rejected it. Um, were either of you two guys surprised that Eovaldi rejected the QO? Let's start with you, Bob. Yeah, I was surprised. And. When I looked at everybody that got the qualifying out offer, there were three or four names that stuck out. Martin Perez was one of them. Um, Jock Peterson was another. Nathan Evaldi was another because he had a one more season. Uh, he was, you know, a, a, the far lowest war of everybody that was extended a qualifying offer. His um, velocity was not good in the second half of the season. The way that he was throwing. 94 and even in the last couple of starts kind of that seemed to me that it was him trying to prove that he was healthy whether it was an audition for free agency or if it was something that the Red Sox wanted to see to evaluate you know whether they would re-sign him um you know he's still kind of the velocity was down and I just think that so much of his game goes off of throwing 98 99 his secondary pitch is working off of that He's had two Tommy John surgeries. He's getting, you know, up there in age a little bit. I thought that 19.6 is a really good contract now that the qualifying offer is up that high. Um, so, you know, I know that kind of the, you look at the estimates, maybe he could be a two-year, $30 million guy. You know, it, it wouldn't be the worst contract I've ever seen, but I, I was surprised that they offered it. I was surprised that he didn't take it. So I agree with you guys there. Yeah, I, I was I was definitely surprised. Keaton, where did you land on this? Because I can't remember what 
you decided last time we were on the show. Were you thinking that Eovaldi was going to get the QO? And, and if he did, did you think he was going to take it? I thought they were going to offer it to him, and I thought he was going to decline it because um, I thought they were going to offer it to him just because it's pitching. He has value. Uh, if he accepted it, then that adds to their depth. Um, if he declined it, then there's the potential for them to get something for it If um, you know, with him signing somewhere else. And I thought he was going to turn it down because I thought because it's pitching and pitching is valuable, uh, even though he had a weird year, uh, he can get more years somewhere else. And I think that's what he's looking for. I think he'd rather have that. Yeah, I mean, it turns out the market is apparently pretty robust for Ivaldi. Uh, apparently, there's a lot of people who think that 2021 is kind of more um, of what he's capable of, or at least look at that as, as something that he can repeat um, down the road, because uh, Bradfoe has reported that uh, the markets for Strom and Ivaldi are heating up right now, and... Um, you know, he thinks that one of those guys or, or potentially both of those guys might get a deal done before uh, the winter meetings at the beginning of December. So you know, apparently uh, something could happen soon. There's been a lot of talk about the Red Sox bringing him back on a multi-year deal. Um, would either of you guys be interested in Eovaldi in, say, like a three-year deal? Maybe, I don't know. 15 million per so let's just say three and 45 uh how would how would you feel about that uh keaton um i think i would be okay with it so it's funny um you had nearly talked me out of giving him a qualifying offer last time because uh you had talked about obviously all of uh the struggles that he had down the stretch but um, it was a weird year for him, and he still had uh, still basically hurt the entire year. And for a reason, the Red Sox like trying to either just let their guys play through injury or um, their medical staff is bad. Um, so I think he's going to have a nice little little bounce back here. Um, and the the going rate for pitching always seems kind of crazy, but that. Seems like a pretty fair value given his uh, his age and recent results. Bob, what do you think? Am I way off with three and forty five, or is that something that could realistically happen for Uvalde? I think he can get that, but I'm out on him at three years, thirty three years old. Like I said, a couple Tommy John surgeries. If they if they get him at a reasonable two year deal, um, I can understand it. I, I want to have another starting pitcher to go with it. So if that was the only one at a two-year deal, I'd be disappointed. <clears throat> but I'm out at three years. I I just, I still, I stand by the fact I was a hard no on giving him the QO because I was convinced he was going to take it. I'm still out on Eovaldi. Um, hell, I mean, the only way I feel like I would take him if is if he wanted a one-year deal, and clearly he doesn't because he rejected one year at (laughs) 19.6. So I I just don't want it. I I, I think there's just too much already here in this rotation. When you look at the rotation that the Red Sox could potentially put out there, Chris Sale, complete question mark. Nick Pavetta, he's durable, but you don't know what you're going to get. Brian Bayo hasn't pitched a full season yet. James Paxton, who knows? Garrett Whitlock, who knows? Like, there's just way too many question marks on this team for me to add another question mark in Nathan Eovaldi, and especially considering the resources that, 
you know, he's going to take up. So I'm, I, I appreciate you, Nate, but, uh, I, I just want something new and a little bit more durable. But what if all those question marks that you just pointed out, what if they all work, Jake, then what, what if they all work? Then all of the people that have already declared Bloom the greatest general manager of all time will have even more fuel for the fire and they will become even more insufferable than they already are and I'll have to leave the internet. And I hope nice. they're listening today. I can't wait <laughs> well, for the fireworks to start. So just to uh, help with this here, my good old Spotrack, my best friend has uh of all these uh, market value at uh two year 16.7 okay nope i'm out at that and probably out at that are you out at your own you're in at two for 30 or you're out at two for 30 two times 15 right 30 million that's that's the most i would give it all jake are you in or out at your own proposed uh or 350 uh out i'm out on my own proposal interesting okay yeah yeah i really don't i'm not interested you out altogether is there yeah oh all right no i'm i'm not there's just no realistic way because like the the time that i'd be okay with taking evaldi's on a one-year prove-it deal and it's just not going to happen. So unless it was something really low, like I think if it came in at like three and 12 or something like that, I might be okay with it. But I just, I don't think he's going to do that. (laughs) I was going to say, I don't think he'd be okay with it. (laughs) No. Um, Moving on from Evaldi though, I have to ask this every time we podcast. Um, What is your pulse on Xander Bogarts at this point? Uh, let's go ahead and start with you, Bob, since I haven't heard your Xander take yet in, in a while, not, not at least officially on record. So where do you stand with the Xander situation? Yeah, I, I think once they got to last March and nothing had happened that I would say we're here today and there wasn't any news. Like, I don't think Scott Boris was going to let him take another extension. He was getting the free agency unless there was that, you know, blow him away offer that, you know, the top offer that he can get in free agency, which they weren't going to offer during the season. Um, So I think it just sucks that it came to that point. You know, I'd say like 33% chance that he's back. Um, And I, yeah, I just, I don't think for me, the pulse isn't any different. It really hasn't been any different the whole year. Once that happened in March and they clearly weren't going to be talking during the season, knowing that Scott Boris is his agent, I just, He's going to go here. He's going to listen to offers. He's going to take his time. They have to overpay one of them, (laughs) Bogarts or Devers or somebody else at this point. That's the the corner they've painted themselves into. So we'll see whether they do that. Keaton, how are you feeling? You you still kind of a toss-up, or are you still thinking that Xander's a goner? I mean... I've been saying this since spring training, I guess, is with each passing day, I feel worse and worse about it. And I I still feel the same. Uh, And I just wanted to do just a quick little, little, uh, little peeky peek here. And uh, Scott Neville, 
who I can't say I'm super familiar with, of SportsIllustrated.com, two hours ago, uh, just wrote up a whole thing about Xander Bogarts. Um, and the last line is about seeing if uh, Bogarts has widespread interest. There are apparently seven teams who are aggressively pursuing him. Uh, and obviously that can severely impact the Red Sox chances of reacquiring him. Um, and so the last line is we'll see if the Red Sox can retain Bogarts, but the writing on the wall is bleak. That's pretty much how I feel. <laughs> Great. That's pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. You know, the the thing that really worries me about the Xander Sitch is um, the teams that have been reported to be in on him, specifically the, the Phillies. Uh, the Dodgers, the Padres. I mean, these are all very attractive situations uh, for Xander. You know, Dombrowski obviously is a no BS guy when it comes to giving, you know, putting his best offers and aggressive offers towards players he wants. I, I wouldn't surprise me at all if he blows Xander away at the winter meetings and he ends up on that team. And, you know, the fact that Juan Soto and others in San Diego are pitching Xander on the idea of joining that team. I mean, it would be pretty damn hard if you're Xander to look at their situation and not want to be a part of that. So I don't know, man. Um, I am not, I think last time we talked, I was 50 50. Um, I am no longer 50 50 on this Xander thing. That. Yeah, you were way under. I was still maintaining some optimism. Um, but I'm like, I'm in Bob territory at this point, like 30, 30%. I'm not going to say I'm like 25%, but I'm not doing doing so great over here. I feel like I'm at 15 and continuing to drop by the day. Yeah. Turning the prices right. I mean, inarguably, though, like, aren't all three of those teams we just named, the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Phillies, more attractive situations than the Red Sox right now? Yes. Yeah, but uh, I don't think my heart can take seeing Mookie and Bogarts together on another team. Yeah. Uh, I was texting with uh, Shelly about the idea of him going to the Padres, and Shelly and I are both massive Juan Soto fans. We were like, okay, we're just going to have to fully switch allegiances at that point. You know, it's just going to be Soto and Xander and, you know. <laughs> and Don Arcillo. Or Don Arcillo. Yeah. I mean, it, come on, that team is so freaking likable. Obviously, yep. I'm kidding. I'm a Sox fan for life, but damn, I would stay up for a lot of night games. <laughs> a lot of West Coast swings. Um, so let's, let's move past that to, to something a little bit more, um, you know, less emotionally charged. The rule five selection happened and, uh, Keaton, we did a very good job on this. Um, Sedan Rafaela, Brandon Walter, Manuel Valdez, uh, Chris Murphy, Wilder Breu, and David Hamilton were all picked. Uh, the first four we had as locks, uh, when we were discussing this. Rafaela, Walter, Valdez, and Murphy. Um, we had a Brayu in our potential ad category, which was sort of the on the bubble guys. And we did mention Hamilton as a long shot as well. Um, I'm pretty proud of our effort there, Keaton, because a lot of people didn't even mention Hamilton as a potential long shot. And this was somebody that I looked up my own tweets. I had tweeted on 
the 22nd of July about Rule 5 stuff, and I had mentioned Hamilton's name all the way back then. Um, so I was kind of happy that we, we ended up nailing these guys, and, and clearly Hamilton was the biggest surprise. So I, I'd say we did pretty good. Um, Bob, I mean, you you are the prospect guy here, the Red Sox prospect guy. Uh, you had the show here. Uh, about the prospects so I mean what were your thoughts about the rule five selections and and kind of the guys that ended up getting added here yeah I I thought it was kind of two ways that you can look at it one of them is that they kept a couple of speed OBP type guys around you know Abreu having 50 grade speed depending on what you look at he stole 31 bases last year and he had an OBP in Houston of 399 at AA, and then Boston of 399. Um, I'm also not shocked when they traded for him two months earlier, uh, knowing that they would have to protect him in two months, uh, and he kind of had a similar output at Boston. Um, you know, he has a good arm. <clears throat> he didn't hit very well in the, the Arizona Fall League. He hit just 167, 54 at bats, but the you know the pitching sucks there, so uh, he didn't do a whole lot there. But with Hamilton. You got 60-grade speed or possibly better. He stole 70 bases last year and 52 the year before. I can understand why that would be tough to kind of leave unprotected there, especially with the changes with the bases and um, the pickoffs and everything that, that's coming. I mean, they, they might just think that speed and OBP guys are a little more valuable than they were a year or two ago. And then the second way I'd look at it is maybe just an unwillingness to admit that there's a sunk cost. I mean, they traded Renfro away for absolutely nothing with Hamilton being one of the two prospects coming back just six, seven months ago. Um, and then, you know, same thing with Abreu just being a couple months. And, you know, just looking back at that Renfro trade that was referenced earlier, I mean, you if you look at Sox prospects list, Pinellas is the 33rd prospect, Hamilton Hamilton's the 44th prospect. And they paid Jackie Bradley $17.5 million to buy those two prospects, giving Renfro away. So if you're going to do that, Bradley's gone. They bought him out. <laughs> What's left? Hey, Benellis, you don't have to protect yet. Hamilton, it might just be an unwillingness to uh, accept defeat on that deal, which is just maybe too deep of a way that I'm looking at that. You're, you're, you're painting the Red Sox like a stubborn as hell dynasty baseball owner right here. And, and I'm, I'm afraid you're not all that far off, uh, in, in your assessment. No, I do think there is some merit to the, the idea that the speed thing with the bases getting bigger is certainly, uh, something that's going to be interesting. And also the banning of the shift, um, Keaton, I mean, what were your thoughts on the David Hamilton thing? We we both didn't seriously consider him um, as somebody who we thought would get picked. He didn't make either of our lists when we made our projections. So what were your thoughts on this? Yeah, I just didn't see a spot for him. Um, but my my comment after that was I can absolutely see someone selecting him because of the speed and speed yeah. being what it is. So I guess I'm not super surprised that they they kept him, but I think so. I have a little bit of a rosier outlook than Bob, but I think that was the reason was if they didn't protect him, he was definitely being taken, and so I think they just feel better about having him in the organization than not. 
with the speed and maybe yeah. you can get something out of it. It's not, I mean, you don't really have like the role of the guy on the bench being the pinch runner anymore. Um, but maybe that ends up being where he goes or maybe with 26 men, you find a way to, to squeeze that in there to get Terrence some Gore. kind of value out of, out of him. Um, <laughs> but I, I just didn't see a spot for him. So that was why he wasn't on my list, especially um, over guy that didn't get selected. Uh, Thad Wart was, that was surprising. Um, yeah. I would have not protected Hamilton and protected Thad Ward. I would have been okay letting Hamilton go. <laughs> yeah, we both had Thad Ward on our list. And, and in particular, when we were talking about this last week, that was a big name that you brought up. I, I think you might have even said you had him in your locks, if I remember yeah. correctly, uh, for guys that were going to be protected. So. You know, what does it mean to you, Keaton, that he wasn't protected? What does that tell you about Thad Ward or, you know, how the Red Sox think about Thad Ward? I don't know. Um, I don't know because I thought he looked really good. Um, obviously, he's 25 at double A, so obviously advanced age for the level. Sure, but... He lost the season because of COVID, and then he lost the season because of injury. So you can kind of understand it. It's not like he's been stuck there for like three years and finally put it together. He, he's kind of been on a normal trajectory. He just he had some stuff pop up that set him back. Uh, and when he came back, he looked really good. And that was enough. I saw enough there to, to think that he can be a productive guy for this organization and wanted to see more of him and thought that, uh, that could even happen this year. Um, I know that he, like, he just got to double-A, but um, starting the season out there again strong, I don't think it would have been long before we saw him in Worcester. Um, and then an extended stint there looking good. We probably could have seen him in the bullpen, at least uh, in the majors at some point at the end of the season. So um, I guess here's hoping he doesn't get picked, but I think he might. Yeah, I was just going to ask that. I mean, Bob, what do you think the odds are that Thad Ward gets taken? And obviously, we didn't have you on the podcast last time we recorded, but did you think that Thad Ward was going to be protected? I did. The only thing for me is that I feel like there's more of those kind of live arms, relief arms available in Rule 5 drafts. And if you lose one, you could probably gain a similar one back. Um, Of course, that would mean you'd have to put him on the roster for the whole season and we already know how crunch that is but I think there's just more of that available in the rule five so maybe they think that he's one of many so I'd put it at like 30 percent but I, I felt similar to Keaton I, you know he, he looked good you know, 243 ERA struck out 11 batters per nine when he got up to double a um so uh, yeah I I thought that it would be him instead of one of the two names we talked about earlier yeah, I'm pretty sure Thad Ward gets taken. Uh, I'm not. I don't usually have strong feelings about who's going to be selected in Rule Five, but it just it makes me think that with the stuff that he has, that he's going to be able to stick on a team's 26 man um, for the year. So, 
He's in an age. He's, he'll be 26, so it's yeah. not like you're hiding a prospect, young prospect at that age. He'll be at an age that he should be in the league at this point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. All right, moving on to a few more roster moves. We'll just go some quick hits with, with some of these. Uh, Easton McGee was treated, traded to Seattle for a cash return. Um, never really pitched for the Red Sox, so, you know, happy trails. Um, Jake Reed and Caleb Hamilton were both DFA'd. Reed was lost to the L.A. Dodgers, uh, where Hamilton cleared waivers and uh, was assigned to AAA. Um, Franchi Cordero and Yu Chang were non-tendered. Uh, neither of those guys was a huge surprise. We talked about those guys as non-tender candidates last podcast. Um, surprisingly, they did tender contracts to Josh Taylor and Ryan Brazier. Um, you know, and, and to add a little bit more to that whole thing, I thought they would non-tender both Josh Taylor and Ryan Brazier. Um, Keaton, you thought they would non-tender Ryan Brazier. You were a little bit more on the fence yeah. because of Taylor's projected $1.1 million, um, which was you know less than half of what Ryan Brazier is projected to get in arbitration. Plus, the team kind of lacks for lefties in the bullpen. Um, and I would have been fine with the idea of retaining Taylor can either of you two guys give me any good reason at all, aside from Ryan Brazier having like, you know, I don't know, some awful blackmail material on someone in the Red Sox front office? Like, why on earth is this guy still here? He is the cockroach that will not die. I'll tell you what, Jake. I cannot give you one single reason. <laughs> I was really counting on you there, Keaton. Um, no, I don't have anything. I was legitimately shocked by it. Um, I tried to dig into it a little bit. I mean, his ERA indicators were in the mid threes. Great. Um, you know, his ERA was 150 in 12 innings the year before. That's not enough of a sample to hang on to the year before. Um, his walk rate is low. I don't know. I, I think Cora might like him more than we than we think. That's the only thing I can think of. But 
this goes to a larger point, but I mean, I think there's really only three pitching spots left, and that's if you include Taylor. Taylor has an option left, and that's why I thought that he was more... Him being a left-hander, making about a million, and he has an option left, I'm pretty sure that they can start the season with him at AAA, um, which you could probably justify after having a year off. Um, he, in fact, has two options left. There you go. So I think that they can, if you're messing around with the 26 men, <clears throat> there are 10 pitchers, if you don't count Taylor, that are all um, that are all going to be either, either out of options or there's no way they would utilize their option, like a Tanner Houck or a Shriver or something like that. So Taylor would be the 11. So you've got three spots left. And I'm already thinking that that's crunched because I want two starting pitchers and two relief pitchers at the back end. Um, and Ryan Brazier was none of those four people that I had in mind. The The most frustrating thing about this is the 2.3 million bucks that he's projected to get oh, right. yep. next year. You know, like that money is not insubstantial, especially considering they went over the luxury tax this past year by like five to seven million bucks. Um, it, it's just he's 35 and he sucks it's it's just crazy to me that they would lock themselves into a guy like this who like best case scenario he's what like a four era reliever who's somewhat dependable worst case scenario he's what he was last year and he's completely unusable and you have to dfa the guy and still pay him that's the thing that i just don't get it just seems like a very poor use of a roster spot, a very poor use of resources. Um, don't, I, I don't have anything for for this one. It was just incredibly frustrating to me. Bottom 5% in the league for average exit velocity and hard hit percentage. I'm guessing that doesn't surprise either of you, but just wanted to pile on. Yeah, Brian O'Halloran talks about this guy like he's – He's Craig Kimbrell, just like coming off of a down year, and like he'll he'll get it back. You know, he talks about him as as one of the the guys, like with John Schreiber and Tanner Houck and some of these other reliable bullpen arms. It's one of the most bizarre things uh, to happen during this last I don't know five years of of Red Sox history is the Ryan Brazier saga. Agreed. And to think we were just someone claiming him away from finally getting rid of him forever. But uh, to nobody's surprise, nobody wanted him. wonder why. Yeah. Well, good for Brazier. He gets paid more money to pitch to an 8 ERA. Um, all right. So, Franchi, though. Where does Franchi end up, and why is it in the KBO hitting 50 home runs? <laughs> I mean that seems like a, like a pretty fun place for him to go. Where did it, where did Aquino go? Uh, Aristides Aquino. He went to the uh, NPB in okay. Japan. All right. So yeah, all both seem like reasonable landing spots um, where he can take his thirty four thirty five percent career K rate and cut it in half and hit fifty bombs, like you said. I think that uh, he will have a lot of fun overseas. 
Um, so I am really actually rooting for that because I bear Franchi no ill will for his inability to be a, an effective MLB baseball player here. Uh, and I think he'll be a whole lot of fun hitting like a thousand home runs over in Asia. So, you know, happy trails to Franchi Cordero. Uh, Red Sox did make a small trade here with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, they sent Inmir Lobo, uh, who's, I believe, an 18-year-old left-handed pitcher, uh, for the Red Sox to the Pittsburgh Pirates for shortstop Hoy Park. Um, and per Ian Cundell, um, he says that uh, Lobo was 18-year-old Venezuelan left-hander. Uh, Park was DFA'd by the Pirates, uh, hit two. 23, 325, 357 with 12 home runs and 56 walks to 114 strikeouts in 435 plate appearances between AAA and MLB and played second base, shortstop, third base, and outfield. Um, Keaton, what do you make of the Hoy Park uh, acquisition here? What do you imagine the plan is for him? It, It seems like a very similar type of guy to a guy that they just DFA'd in, in uh, Yu Chang. Yeah, it is. You are correct. Um, I don't know what the plan is. Take a shot on a guy, see if it works kind of thing. Um, they love them, some util guys. So just the fact that you can play a whole bunch of positions and Maybe they can get something out of him, I suppose. Um, he is better at getting on pace, so maybe they see something there. I just I don't see a lot. Bob, do you remember the last utility guy that we acquired from the Pittsburgh Pirates? No. Oh, come on. Brock Was it Holt? Okay. All right. Un believable <laughs> <laughs> do we have the next brock holt on our hands here hey if hoy park can be an all-star like brock i'll be thrilled no i mean i think that he's the backup plan to the backup plan and may or may not still be there in three months like you said he played some second short third little bit of outfield versatility if they you know, need that last spot and some other things don't work out. But I think that was it, uh, like a Tim LaCastro, just, you know, people that were on the 40 man roster briefly and then, uh, were jettisoned when they needed the spot. So I think that could happen here. All right. Well, hopefully we get to know park a little bit. Um, they did make their first real major league free agent signing of the year by signing left-handed pitcher, Jolie Rodriguez, uh, per Alex Spear. Um, he's a left-handed pitcher on a one-year deal with a 2024 team option. He had a 4.47 ERA, uh, with the Mets last year, 26.4% strikeout rate in 55 games, um, 50 in a third innings. Uh, but he had a better deserved run average of 3.64. Uh, let's go with you, Bob. I mean, is is this an effective lefty for the Red Sox bullpen next year, considering they definitely needed a lefty in that bullpen? Yeah, I mean, it's Jake Diekman just a year later, um, coming off of a very <laughs> similar season that Jake Diekman had the year before. 
Um, you know, in 2021, Diekman was 3.86 ERA and a 1.34 whip. And Rodriguez had a 1.35 whip last year and a 4.47 ERA. Uh, he walks a lot of guys, four and a half batters per nine last year, a little less in his career. Um, you know, a little better with hard hit rate than Diekman, but I think it's a very similar signing and that I think they have some options beyond a year, right? They can pick up a second year um, at a little more money if this goes well. But it just reminds me a lot of that signing where he can strike some guys out, but he's going to come in and uh, walk and hit a guy and irritate us if he doesn't get his command down. I like the $2 million price tag. Uh, yeah. The $2 million AAV a little bit more than, than Diekman's, what was it, $8 million committed to Diekman last year. Yeah. Uh, Keaton, what are your thoughts on Mr. Rodriguez? I think it's kind of interesting, actually. Um, I mean, you mentioned the DRA, the XERA, FIP, and XFIP um, are all like consistently over the past few seasons significantly lower than this actual ERA. Um, so it feels like because he, he has the ability to strike guys out, he can limit his damage, um, which, you know, you'd like to see that kind of show up more in the actual earned run average numbers and not just the expected numbers there, but, um, Maybe there is something there. I feel a little bit more optimistic about this signing than Diekman because I don't think he's as inconsistent um, with the walks as Diekman was. Um, so maybe he can kind of keep some of that under control. Um, but it's not the high leverage signing that we were hoping to get so hopefully this is not the end of the bullpen additions can i add a question in on the fly and i'll ask it to you jake and then you can give your opinion on it but so there's there's 10 names that are definites barnes joelly rodriguez brazier schreiber hauk are the five in the pen and then you got sale pavetta um bayo whitlock um and there's a starter that i'm missing that i can't think of um so there's 10 definites that leaves three spots. <clears throat> you can only carry 13 pitchers. So what are the three remaining moves? Is it two starters and a closer and the rest of the bullpen is set? Is it a starter and two relievers? Because those guys, that's those are all definites. Um, yeah. I'm forgetting the fifth starter and I'll pull it up. But I, I think the, the move for this team considering the depth they have at starting pitcher, uh, including what they have at the minor leagues right now with Winkowski and Cutter Crawford and a few of the other guys that they have down there, I, I think you have to go one starter, two bullpen arms. Yeah, and Paxa was the other one, was the 10th. One starter, yeah. two bullpen arms. Yeah. How would you go? I Well, I would add two starters and a closer, and I would put Paxa in, in the bullpen as a third lefty. Well, I guess it would just be a second lefty. It would be Paxson and Rodriguez and Taylor starting at AAA. Mm. Um, I'd have one of those be a signing and one of those be a trade. Um, 
you know, which is tougher to pin down when you talk about trades. I, <clears throat> but I, you know, we, we have some more questions coming up about whether they should sign a top of the rotation arm. So we'll save that. What do you think, Keaton? How should they allocate those remaining three spots? I would go starter and two bullpen. And one of those guys have to be a closer for you. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. Yeah. Yep. I, I this is the the pitching being this crowded right now is is very frustrating. Um, I I thought based on the words that O'Halloran and Bloom and everybody else has been saying about wanting to improve uh, the pitching, I would have thought that we would have more space for our imaginations to to work with than three roster spots but here we are a couple more minor very minor minor league moves uh the red sox signed free agent center fielder narciso crook to a minor league contract and they signed right-handed pitcher braylon arredondo to a minor league contract um do either of you have any thoughts on either of those players, Crook or Arredondo, other than Arredondo being very fun to say? I would say Crook is a steal. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't have laughed at that. Well, we're ending there. I don't have anything to add. That was perfect. <laughs> All right. So uh, our next big talking point here is the winter meetings. We had referenced them before. They're taking place between December 4th and 7th in San Diego. Uh, This is an opportunity for all of the general managers and heads of baseball ops or, you know, chief baseball dudes, whatever titles these guys have these days, uh, to get together and uh, get some stuff done. Uh, The media usually covers it pretty well, so if you're not familiar with winter meetings, stuff always happens there. So um, let's start with you first, Keaton. What do you expect the Red Sox to get done at the winter meetings, if anything, and will Xander sign by then? Oh, man, I would love to be going into the winter meetings with... Bogarts signed an Endeavor's extension so they can just focus on a big old trade. So that'd be great, but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. So, um, I don't, I feel like we always think there's going to be more that happens because there was, there's like one year where like almost everything happened at the winter meetings in one off season. I want to say it was like 2006, 2007 or something like that. And ever since then, we always kind of feel like, oh, my God, it's the winter meetings. This is where it's all going to happen. And, like, nothing happens. Well, no, stuff always happens. It's just, like, varying degrees of whether or not it's related to your team. But, like, remember um, last year before the lockout in the deadline there? Like, a whole bunch of stuff got done. Yeah, that was a little bit weird. Yeah. I... Definitely don't think that's going to happen again. And it was also weird because all of that was done with free agents, which is not typical of the winter meetings, having everybody there. But um, I really don't know. I would like – I mean, I f- normally you feel like the Red Sox have like a big trade target that you'd like to see them hammer something out with. I just – it doesn't f- – I don't know. This is a weird offseason. I just – I don't – I have no idea. I would love – 
to see Bloom go in there uh, and swing a deal for something spectacular um, or at least like impactful to the roster. That would be really fun. Uh, if not, sign Bogarts and extend Devers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those would be pretty impactful too. Uh, yeah. yeah, that that would be good. Bob, did they get either of these things done by the end of the winter meetings, either signing Xander or extending Devers? I'll say no for both. Um, I do think they'll make a trade. I think especially with Abreu going off the board today, um, that they they really need to get an outfielder or DH, and the market is really thin, especially in the outfield, or at least outfielders that can um, you know, play defense. I've been kind of writing a little bit about lining up with Arizona. I hope they talk to them about Alec Thomas, about Dalton Varsho. Those would be my two ideal targets. I think that they line up really well, a whole lot of left-handed outfielder bats and Varsho just plays uh, and Thomas as well plays such a great defense. Varsho is a converted catcher. Um, it sounds like he isn't really going to catch anymore, but would be perfect in the big outfield at Fenway. You know, it would take a lot um, to get him. The other one that would be a lesser target is Jesse Winker. I think that Seattle would pretty much give him away. He's making six or seven million. I know that there's some clubhouse issues there and that they've pretty much seems like they've already showed him the door. Um, and I think that he could play DH and be a left field candidate in a pinch. And he, he's entering a contract year. Um, he had a bad year last year, but his walk rate was still at 15%. Um, you know, decent OBP. <clears throat> Obviously, that wouldn't be... <laughs> you'd need to bring in a lot more than that. But I think that $6, 7000000 million guy with Winker and then, you know, even less with Varsho or Thomas, who I don't believe are even arbitration eligible yet. At least Thomas isn't. So those would be the, the two teams that I would check in with. Yeah, those are really interesting names. I think the Diamondbacks thing makes an absolute ton of sense. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they went down that route. I think if they do, I would like it to be Thomas or Varsho. I think Varsho would be substantially more expensive than Thomas uh, if they went down that route because of the excellent defense like you mentioned and also the power speed thing Sure. Um, with him. But yeah, I think he'd be a great fit in right field at Fenway. I, I actually am going to predict that they do not get a deal done with Xander or Devers before or you know before the winter meetings end. I think that's going to continue to hang over their heads. But I do think that... Um, one of the, the talking points that Red Sox front office has been really talking about has been the catching situation. And I think that um, they will get a trade done for Sean Murphy with the A's uh, at the winter meetings. Um, so I think they'll come away with Sean Murphy. And I also think they will solve right field for the Red Sox for next year by signing Mitch Haniger. Those are my two big predictions. You know, and, and I think that, Wilson Contreras is another name that I don't hear linked to them a whole lot, but I think that they should think about, um, you know, just that veteran presence and three or four years and the need for a catcher. I think Murphy's a great target, um, but, you know, if they miss out on some of these bigger name guys, I mean, they have enough 80 to 100 million that they could spend depending on 
which tax they want to go up to or if they want to go over at all. But uh, I think Contreras is attainable and bring that Veritek-like veteran presence with the pitching staff. Um, you know, he's another kind of catcher that I've thought about a little bit, but obviously Murphy's a great target as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, reports are that the Red Sox are out on the big four starting pitchers from this class. Um, and I know Bob, much to your chagrin about one of these guys, uh, Justin Verlander, who does not have a qualifying offer attached to him. Um, DeGrom, Rodon, and Chris Bassett are the other ones that make up sort of the big four. Bassett certainly isn't in the category of those guys in terms of impact, um, but those latter three all have a qualifying offer attached to them. What do you make of the idea that the Red Sox are sort of not in play for these guys uh, in particular? It, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, Keaton, let's start with you. What are your thoughts on on them being out on these guys? I think it's dumb, Jake. Yeah, me too. That's that's my my <laughs> short version. Uh, my long version is, and this kind of goes back to what we talked about at the very top. The Red Sox told Whitlock and Hauk, "You two for starters," which means right now they have six starters on the major league roster with uh, Carter Crawford, Brian Mata and Seabold in the wings, maybe even a couple others. Um, so they feel like they have depth, and they don't need to go after an ace, which I think is dumb, because you outlined at the top um, just how unpredictable uh, basically every option except Nick Pavetta is in the starting rotation, and uh, what you can predict from Nick Pavetta is not all that exciting. So I don't know why you would want him there. So yeah, I think it's really annoying when you have you the this is all of the past was a three years you've been complaining about not having money and now this entire offseason you're like we have the financial flexibility we've been looking for. We're gonna have this massive offseason then you're like actually let's not get too crazy now. <laughs> we're 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 not we're not going to go after really good players. That's not what we meant by having a really big offseason and making massive upgrades to this team. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's extremely frustrating, Jake, and I hate it. Yeah, it really doesn't make a lot of sense, especially considering the line from the front office has been um, we have a lot of depth now, and the thing that we want to address is impact, guys. They've said that a couple times. Um, and I can these think are of a couple impact, impact guys. guys. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like this is the impact you're looking for. And, and Bob, I know that you've been a big proponent of Justin Verlander being a really good fit because he wouldn't take a lot of years, obviously, at 40 years old. And sure, it would be very expensive AAV, but not having the qualifying offer attached to him too. I mean, that seems to make this extremely attractive. Yeah, I think that's the perfect target. And 39 years old, he just was the Cy Young Award winner, by the way. Um, outside of the Tommy John surgery, which it appears he is past, there is nobody that is more reliable to take the ball on every fifth day than Verlander. If you look at his, his page over an 18 year track record. Um, so, you know, I think that Fangraphs had kind of the median projections at two years, 70 million, whether that gets it done or not, I'm not sure, but for a 39, um, 
nearly, I guess it'll be 40 when the season starts. So for a 40 year old, <clears throat> I think that, that, that that's fair. I don't know if anyone's going to go beyond that for someone in their forties. I would do that. I would do the same thing with DeGrom, although I know there's a little more risk there, but I think he's the best pitcher alive. And I would take that risk for uh, whatever spectacular 120 to 140 innings. Hopefully he can give you uh, Radon, not as much with the, I don't know if I want to give five years. He's had more arm problems, you know, over the course of his career. Uh, and Bassett, I kind of just have on, on a lesser tier. So, yeah, I don't know. Verlander seems perfect. And if they're going to sign Bogarts for 25 to 30 million and Verlander for 35, and you still have room for another um, impact player, as you guys were just referencing, like you still have room for that. And Devers' extension wouldn't kick in till the year after. So, Verlander being short term, two years doesn't affect you uh, a whole lot or restrain you from signing Devers. So I think that that short term approach is is perfect. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and I'm totally on board with the not messing with the Rodon thing because I agree he's going to take a longer commitment than any of these guys and lots of question marks. But and I get not wanting to pay for Bassett with a QO when there's a guy like Kodai Senga on the market who could be comparable to Bassett and doesn't have a QO attached to him. Right. But but JV and Degrom, those are those are studs. Um, and I agree with you. Out of the two, I think JV makes more sense. But I think the question I have now is if they really aren't going to go after any of those four guys, as has been reported how much pressure does this put on the Red Sox to land Senga, who's really kind of the only other guy who, when you look at this market, I mean, I guess you could maybe say Andrew Haney based off the season he had last year, but he hasn't been a reliable dude. I mean, where do the Red Sox go if they can't land Senga now? Yeah. I, and I had scratched down Haney as a name. I mean, his strikeout rates were fantastic. Um, and even better in the second half, but you have so much risk already. You're adding a ton of risk, and uh, you know he's got Paxton vibes almost in terms of his arm holding up for a whole season. <clears throat> you know Kluber is fine as a number three. The name that I've thrown out uh, in an article was Herman Marquez from Colorado. I think he's more of a number two, but his numbers on the road in his career are really good, and I would just love to see him outside of. Of course, and he has a reasonable option in the second year. Um, and I don't think Colorado's, even though I never really know what their um, management is doing, I don't think that their window is starting yet. So that's just kind of an outside-the-box idea that I had to try to find an ace that you don't need to give a qualifying offer or spend $35 million on. Um, you know, not that Marquez is an ace, but maybe could be closer to a number two and hopefully, hopefully sign another arm with that. I'll tell you where they go, Jake. Nathan Valdi. <laughs> uh, start. Full circle. The uh, the excitement level is uh, really high with that one for me. Yeah, that's great. Um, <laughs> I I am afraid you're spot on, Keaton. So um, yeah, let's let's move on from there. Um, Keaton. We, we haven't talked about a trade that you think the Red Sox will make. Bob and I both mentioned one. Do you think the Red Sox will make a trade? I hope so. Yeah. Do you, do you have any idea what that might be? 
Oh boy. Um, I don't. Um, I mean, I have, I think I know we've talked about stuff that like, I'd like to see. Um, I guess I, th- I can't remember what the episode or whatever it was. We talked about it, but I think they're a fit to get a starter from the Marlins. I thought, uh, I think Lopez, obviously, Lopez, yeah. yeah, not going to be cheap. Um, but Marlins, um, are just loaded with young pitching talent and they can very easily replace Lopez with somebody, which is just nuts. The amount of awesome pitching they have. Um, they also seem pretty willing to make a deal almost year in, year out. Um, and their surplus matches up to your needs. So I, I just think it makes all the sense in the world. It would be a difficult one to make in that right there would be a fantastic deal for Bloom to walk into the winter meetings and come out of it with Pablo Lopez from the, the Marlins. That would, I would love that. That would be great. Yeah, that'd be really, really good. I, I think you'd end up having to give up something pretty substantial for that, but I think it would ultimately be worth it for the caliber of pitcher uh, that Pablo Lopez is. So, yeah, I'm with yeah. you on that. I would love that. Um, as far as back end bullpen names, though, those are thinning relatively quickly. Those were some of the first guys to sign in this past off season with Edwin Diaz, obviously making you know hundred million bucks and some other of the big names going off the market. But one of the names that keeps coming up is Kenley Jansen um, for the Red Sox. They were reportedly interested in him last year. Uh, Kenley Jansen remains a target of theirs. Last season, he had a three point three eight ERA. Uh, was still a pretty good pitcher, um, you know, not what he was at his peak, but you know, still had 41 saves. Uh, how would you guys feel about uh, Kenley Jansen? Let's go with you first, Bob. Yeah, Jansen was a target for me last year. Um, man, he would have helped out a lot a year ago, and I think that they have the same. Uh, hole in the bullpen now that they had a year ago. You know, I've seen some estimates of a year at $12 because of his age. I feel like he's going to get a couple of years or more for one year, but I think he's a great fit. Sure, you can't do Verlander and Bogarts and Contreras and Jansen, but it's kind of all the different paths. What's your your second tier? And I think Jansen, you know, is there as a good secondary target. Um, the only thing that worries me with him is the the pitch clock. Uh, I've heard Eno Saris reference this, that he's the longest in all of baseball to home plate when a runner's on base, he's 31 seconds, um, which was the longest in the entire league. And it was only 26 when there isn't a runner on base. Um, So he's going to have to make an adjustment with that. But there are a lot, if you look at some of the great relievers in the league, a lot of them are up there in that metric. So, you know, just one, you wonder how much that's going to affect some of the veteran pitchers, um, you know, that have been in the league 10, 15 years making that adjustment and, uh, you know, that kind of have their their timing and their routine down. So and that's my only hesitation with Jansen. Keaton for Kenley? Yeah, I like it. Um, <laughs> they need a closer. So that checks a box. Um and he's also still really effective, even given the age. And the partly because, or maybe mostly because, uh, he's become 
a smarter and smarter pitcher here as he's aged, um, which is as his velocity has uh, declined, which is I mean, kind of relative. It's still you know above league average, but uh, for his standards, it's declined, and he still managed to be very effective because he's really over the past like three seasons yeah three seasons uh drastically changed his pitch mix to rely on what's most effective for him not really kind of worrying about the velocity and just making sure he's getting guys out so um i'm all for it i like it is an effective high leverage reliever still crushing it i'm in Bob, how do you feel about the fact that we're calling Kenley Jansen old and we're both older than Kenley Jansen? <laughs> well, I've had to accept that. And, you know, can I still buy jerseys or anything of people that are younger than me has been a conundrum in my life. Um, so, yeah, I'm having a lot of struggles with that, but that's a way deeper conversation, Jake. <laughs> that's a stupid rule. If you like a dude, buy his jersey. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I mean... I go back and forth. Don't be a nub. Um, Another side question here with Kenley Jansen, and I do think it is interesting, the fact that you brought up how much time he takes, but, you know, Kenley Jansen's had an incredible career here as a reliever. He's got, as it currently stands, 391 saves for his career, 2.46 ERA over his career. Um, He's just been one of the best relief pitchers in baseball, you know, he's only 35. Keaton, you mentioned how he's getting smarter with how he throws, and it's not unrealistic to think he could continue to succeed here for another number of years, maybe three, four seasons. Um, is is he a potential Hall of Famer? Yeah, I think he is. 391 saves, no slowing down. That's a lot of saves. I mean, he had 41 last year, which is his second highest mark of his career. Yeah, and he gives, you can't compare anybody to him, but he gives that Rivera vibe. And what you said, Keaton, with the pitch mix change, but his cutter is so good. And it just saws off lefties in a way that I really can't think of since Rivera. Not like it's on that level because you can't compare to the greatest. But, you know, I feel like, even when he is throwing closer to 90, as he gets older, he'll still be effective. And he's a horse. He's 6'5", 265. I mean, if any body arm is going to hold up. Yeah, by pitch values, the cutter the last two years has been one of the most valuable pitches in all of baseball. So um, I agree with both of you that I, I think... I was in on Jansen before this conversation, and now I need the Red Sox to have Kenley Jansen. It's kind of a perfect fit. <laughs> yeah, he really is. And I don't mind if they give him multiple years. Um, I love I love guys who throw a good cutter. So, yep. yeah, that's that sounds great. Uh, all right, last, last thing before we get to listener questions here. Uh, Judge feels like the biggest domino. Had a great uh, visit with the the San Francisco Giants. Yankees obviously still really need him, and it's it's uh, really hilarious to imagine what the Yankees lineup would be like without him. Um, so I'm rooting for that. But where do you guys think he ends up? San Francisco, New York, and I'll say the Yankees. 
to clarify. <laughs> That's it's an important clarification. Yeah, what these what days. you said that that there's gonna be um, there's just so much that they would need to do to make up for his production. You know, his eleven and a half war. That uh, and I and they have the money to do it. I just think. I think that they will top any other offer, but nothing would shock me. I'm I feel gonna... like San Francisco's been chasing an outfielder for like a decade. I feel like every offseason, it's like the one thing that this has just been a lock is that San Francisco's looking for an outfielder. And even the ones that they've signed, it's only been for like a year. So I feel like they're just annoyed with it, and they're just finally going to lock one up. I think the Sacramento kid goes back to, to California, and uh, I agree with you, Keaton. He ends up a giant. Next highest war after Judge was Jose Trevino at 3.7. So, <laughs> I'm so here for the fifth-place New York Yankees next year. Uh, that would be wonderful. All right, well, with that optimism, let's get to our listener questions. Uh, TJ McPhee has a couple of questions for us. He says, first of all, I understand the hesitancy around DeGrom, but Verlander just seems like the perfect fit for this rotation. He obviously has been talking to you, Bob. Uh, and it just comes down to a large annual salary. Why do you think the Sox aren't going after him or the other aces? We kind of mentioned that. They can't rely on sale to be there all year, can they? No, they absolutely can't. And, I mean, we addressed that. We all three think that JV is a perfect fit for this team. We all three think that they should be going uh, for Verlander over DeGrom, I think, right? Like, does anybody here think that they would rather pay probably more in longer term for DeGrom rather than go after Verlander? Um, I would be more excited if they signed DeGrom just because he's my favorite pitcher in baseball, but it's probably not the smarter move. I know that's yeah, not what you asked. Accurate. Yeah, uh, I I agree with that. Like, in a, in a vacuum, DeGrom is more exciting, but Verlander just makes more sense uh, for this team. So, yeah, TJ, you're 100% on the same page as us. Um, he also asks another question. He says, also, if you don't get to it on the podcast... Uh, where do the Sox turn to at DH now with Abreu off the board? Uh, would Abreu have been worth what he got three years at $58 million bucks? Um, I, let me start off with this one because I wrote about this. I think Abreu would have been the absolute perfect fit for this team, and I do think he would have been worth the three years, $58 million, uh, to get that certainty, uh, You know, both backing up Tristan Casas at first base because um, he's been – remarkably durable over his career and in terms of expo but he was you know the best he's been um other than his shortened mvp season in 2020 so yeah i absolutely think that abreu was worth what he got but i also think that houston is a way more attractive situation for abreu than boston right now so what do you guys think about the abreu deal yeah surprised he got that much um just because it seemed like most of the estimates were two years and actually a little bit less money. Um, but yeah, he won the MVP two years ago. Um, <clears throat> I would have given that deal, like you said. Um, but it was definitely kind of on the higher end. But I, I, I think that he was a good fit, and he's also that first base. I mean, that was the name that I think I said when we did that big-ass pod with everybody 
a month ago was the Brave was who I thought was the best hitter fit. Um, so I was definitely disappointed when I saw that today, but felt a little better when I saw what they, you know, they definitely paid the max for him. What do you think, Keats? Bob summed it up very well. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Um, our next question comes from Brian, and he says, do we have a Noah song update? And well, if- wait, we, we didn't answer the, the actual question there. Where do they go for DH? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that, TJ. Thank you. Um, Keaton, where do they go? Eric Hosmer. Oh, God. Ugh. Why do you keep saying these things to me? <laughs> I'm starting to think that I'm getting gaslighted over here by Keaton. <laughs> um, yeah, I it just kind of feels like that's the way things are going. I really hope that's not, but um, that's the easy answer. Um, not Josh yeah. Bell or Brandon Drury or you Josh know Bell's Trey Mancini great. or. Any of these guys, Dom Smith, even you're just you're just going with like, give me the old Eric Hosmer. Well, he's got to be off the roster for them to to bring someone in, don't you think? I do. So, gonna have kind of a tandem of moves there. I mean, I would absolutely love Trey Mancini as the DH of this team. Absolutely love it. I just think that that particular position is a bit of a stretch to fill right now and not as much of a priority as the other ones. So it feels like they're just going to kind of let that one fall how it falls. Um, And to me, that feels like Eric Hosmer, unless they they do make a move to get him off the roster and add somebody else. Um, I think of the guys you mentioned, Mancini would be great. Bell would also be great. Um. Those ones, I think, are really kind of the ones that stand out. Um, was trying to dig around here for some other names. What about Nelson Cruz at 42 years old? There it is. Yeah. That's what you want, Bob? One. I was going to say Conforto, um, and then I was going to say Nelson Cruz as a backup, backup. You wouldn't one. want Conforto to actually play the field? Um, I would. It depends. It depends what field that's on. He has decent enough defensive the outfield. <laughs> is it Fenway? Is he is he patrolling right field at Fenway? That's not ideal. Half the time, me. half the time, I could see him in the outfield. <laughs> a little bit of Ref Snyder. Um, I like Conforto on a one year deal to prove that wow. he is back healthy. And um, but I don't know. I also Conforto with that right or uh, Cruz with a right handed swing at Fenway <clears throat> would be interesting. Um, I need Nelson Cruz. Was also a home and away joke, not a platoon joke. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Nelson Cruz would be just a reincarnation of uh, Poppy. Um, I mean, would obviously, he? obviously, like not to the degree that Poppy was, but I mean, Nelson Cruz hit some majestic moonshots. I would be really happy with Old Man Cruz in Fenway. That would make me really, really happy. He still had good um, kind of hard hit numbers. I didn't look at last year's. I mean, his 
his overall line in 22 was a bit disappointing, but I'm trying to pull that up. He was still. Said, he only had 10 homers. Yeah, it wasn't great. He was injured a lot. It wasn't like. It was 124 games. Ineffectiveness. He, he, he was dealing with some health issues, which like you could expect at 42. Top 20% and average exit velocity, hard hit percentage, max EV. He's still got sure. it. He's still that dude. I think I'd rather go somewhere else. All right. All right, let's get to Brian's question now. He asks first for a Noah Song update. Keaton, give us your Noah Song update. Sure. I went and did a whole bunch of research because uh, I couldn't find a lot. But what I did find was from uh, about a month ago, uh, Jen McCaffrey gave an update. Uh, and the update is there is no updates. Um, she reached out to Red Sox official and asked about this. Uh, and the response was no new updates on Noah. So um, he applied for a waiver to return in May. Uh, and then we just haven't really heard much since then. And that that's that was it that's all that's the update (laughs) so uh not much on the noah song front yeah Uh, and and the report is that he is just still waiting on that waiver so we just don't know um unfortunately feels like we might not know for a while yeah uh, his second question, though, is on uh, Chad Jennings's roster projection. Uh, Chad Jennings, great writer over at The Athletic. Uh, one of my favorite Red Sox writers at this point right now, and we need to get Chad on the show. I talked to him the last year about doing it, and there was a conflict, but we really should get him on the show. Um, but his, his projection uh, for this roster is Trevor Story, Rafael Devers, uh, Xander Bogarts, so coming back. Jose Abreu, which is now impossible as the DH. Uh, we definitely agreed there. Uh, Verdugo, Mitch Hanniger in right field, my man. I definitely see eye to eye with him there. Tristan Casas, Kike, Reese McGuire, so he doesn't has to have them going out and getting a new catcher. Connor Wong, Arroyo, Ref Snyder, and Bradley Zimmer making up the bench. Rotation, he has them signing Senga, bringing back Nathan Eovaldi. Um, Chris Sale, Garrett Whitlock, and Brian Bayo. And then in the bullpen, he has them making a trade for Scott Barlow to be the closer. Uh, Barlow pitched for the Royals last year. He has Tanner Houck, Matt Barnes, John Schreiber, Rich Hill returning in a relief role. Um, Steven Okert being acquired as a lefty from the uh, Miami Marlins. So he does have a Marlins trade there. Uh, Brian Mata as a power righty out of the bullpen. And then Nick Pavetta slash James Paxton serving as a long man kind of swing man role uh, over the back. And, um, you know, obviously this can't happen now that uh, Abreu is off the board. But looking at this roster, um, if this were to have happened, uh, how many wins do you think this team would have gotten? Bob, let's start with you. Um, 88 is fine. I, I think that if they did this, I would not, I'd feel like they put some effort in <laughs> a lot more in the last couple of years. You know, I, I want more of kind of that, that top tier free agent, but I, I think that he definitely got creative here. And I like the trade for Barlow. You know, if you're not signing Jansen, what, what's your next bet at closer, which isn't something that we really talked about, but it might, it might be a trade. Or it's David Robertson, or it's um, you know, it's an it's an older pitcher. So Barlow, 
along with the uh, Bednar, who you guys have mentioned before, you know, that that's probably if Jansen isn't who they sign, where they need to go. So I thought that was interesting. He said it was a Duran and Hosmer trade, which I think they might need to give a little more than that, but I like the idea. Yeah, it does seem like Duran would be a perfect Kansas City Royal. It made a lot of sense to me. Um, Keaton, what do you think? How many wins? Uh, I'm just in the ballpark there with Bob. I was going to say 86. Because the, the depth of the bats is still just not there. So they need to, they need to all stay healthy again. And I'm not sold on that. Then um, if like a couple of these guys go down uh, or try and play through injuries, um, we've seen how that goes. That, that piece is tough. I do like the moves here to the rotation and the bullpen, most notably no Ryan Brazier. That's outstanding. Um, <laughs> Rich Hill is interesting, though, because Rich Hill himself at the end of last year talked about how um, he's probably priming himself for like a second half thing this year and like a all-star break on. Um, so I was trying to scan quickly to see if uh, Jennings had noted um, if this was Rich Hill for an entire season or just the second half of the season, but I could not find any note there on Rich Hill. But uh, I also do like Mata being there because uh, Mata had himself a nice little season last year, so I think that's really nice. And then actually have a closer is great. So, yeah, I like those moves. Brazier out, having actual arms in the bullpen. Um, a little bit of depth there with having Pavetta slash Paxton there in the um, the bullpen instead of in the rotation. Um, signing Senga, that looks nice. Uh, but then there's still, I mean, there's still depth questions. I mean, and even at, at reliever, you have depth, but what you do have is not not like great options if guys get hurt or go down and miss time. So that piece is still there. Um, but, you know, if the, that rotation stays healthy and the lineup stays healthy, I could see that, like, the uh, the ceiling being something like 95. Um, if everything goes wrong, I could see it being, like, 80. So I feel like probably splitting it, like, 86, 87. Feels about right. Yeah, I'm, I'm way more optimistic about this team than you guys were. Um, I really like Barlow quite a bit, so I think this bullpen is is better than what they have now significantly. Um, I don't like the bringing Evaldi back thing, but I do like the rest of the rotation, um, and I love the lineup. I think that this lineup would be so good, and obviously, like we said a couple times, it can't happen, but... You know, Hanniger and, and Abreu really provide a lot of power and thinking about getting a full year of Trevor Story's power in that lineup too and bringing back Xander I think would do wonders for the clubhouse and all that stuff. So, I don't know. I, I, I My instinct was this was a 94-win team um, from looking at it. So, I don't know. Definitely uh, really liked it. Good. And I wanted to get some optimism out of you tonight, so thank you, Jake. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it only took till the hour and a half mark of the show. Ninety-one minutes. So, yep. Yeah. There you go. Uh, Andrew Ray optimism has optimism for a lineup that cannot happen. <laughs> yeah. There we go. 
Andrew Ray has our second to last question of the night. He says, what do you think about a Rymel Tapia Rob Refsnyder platoon in right field? I don't like it. Yeah, Holy shit. Talk about underwhelming here. I mean, Rymel Tapia, seven home runs, eight steals, 265, 292, 380 with a 90 WRC plus in 128 games last year. Well, he walked plus. 3.7% of the time. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know who walked more than that? Nelson Cruz. Michael Chavis. Ooh. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is gross. Does anybody feel okay with this idea? If they no. m- make five signings and they run out of money and that's all that's left, uh, I could probably be talked into this. I just, okay. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what in the line um, I should get excited about, and I'm happy to listen to it. <laughs> I might be missing something. It, I don't know. Maybe he just likes Ramel Tapia's hair. He does have great hair. Yeah. And that could be it. But we appreciate you listening. Yeah. All right, and our next and final question comes from Baby Knees. Uh, <laughs> and he says, will they play Enmanuel Valdez? He's either going to hit or not. May as well find out. Uh, Bob, let's go to you first. Do you think Enmanuel Valdez gets any run this year? Sorry, I was trying to click on this profile to see what Baby Knees means. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, yeah, I could... I think Valdez, he's got that second and third combination that maybe it's him or Jeter Downs, right, at this point. He's not going to be a starter, but I could see him being a backup maybe in a year. And if there is a need with an injury, I could see him coming up this year. You know, he has good power and I think at this point is a top 10 prospect in the organization. So, um. He's either going to hit or not. Might as well find out. Yes, but I don't think that he'll get a whole lot of at-bats for a while unless there's an injury. Yeah, it'd be kind of a bad thing if he was getting a lot of... Sorry. It'd be a bad thing if he's getting a lot of at-bats for this team. Um, But yes, he is a bat-first guy, and we should have mentioned that he wasn't traditionally added uh, the way that the other Rule 5 picks were. He was a minor league free agent, so he was added a few days before, so he would not become a minor league free agent um but yeah uh keaton what do you think about and manuel valdez anything to add there nope i think bob said it pretty well there bob did you say that you love subway sandwiches no i was on baby knees profile and it, uh, i've clicked out of it but he was some sort of subway sandwich connoisseur it looks like oh wow which doesn't clarify anything but well well i'll go to him if, yeah uh, i can get for some clarification. my my tips uh, next time I hit up the subway. Yep. Um, all right. Well, everybody who stuck with us through an hour and a half plus of, of a show, which, you know, frankly, I didn't think was possible uh, with the amount of things that are happening uh, in baseball and especially with the Red Sox right now. But, you know, you get three, uh, three disgruntled hosts together and, uh, you know, magic happens. Um, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the show. I had fun. I feel better now that I've uh, gotten some of this off my chest. I hope you guys do too. Yeah, this was great. 
You can follow all of us on Twitter. You can follow Bob at BobBosgood15. You can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. And you can follow me at, at DevJake. Um, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Stick with us for the offseason. We will be in your eardrums. Thank you very much. <laughs>